0: Mary M. and Company by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1961, Chapter 20, Never Pick on an Alderman's Son. Lord, it's uh, been a good day here in South Carolina, and I thank you that I have the privilege of reading this book even when I'm on the road. I pray that everyone who hears it would be encouraged to uh, know that you are uh, the Lord God who preached the gospel to Abraham, who keeps all your promises and all your covenants, and um, to this very day, has uh, continued to work through uh, your people, especially the families of those who believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the cart Philip and I picked out was a good one, red. And it really didn't cost us anything. Tuesday was a bright, warm day. And when we came home with the cart, Mother was hanging out clothes in the backyard. After we talked about the cart for a minute or two, she said, My, isn't this a lovely day? Spring is really in the air, and it always makes my fingers itch to get into the soil. We must get our garden started right away. If we could manage to raise ourselves a good crop of vegetables this summer, we'll, we'd save many a dollar on our, on our grocery bill. The yard behind our house was a big one, and the lawn went only halfway to the back fence. Anyone who had ever seen a farmer, who, were, or who had ever been a farmer, could see that the space beyond the lawn had once been a garden but that it hadn't been planted for several years, and that the soil wasn't very fertile. The dried weed stalks from the year before were spindly, and even the witchgrass was thin and wire-like. I'm afraid we couldn't get very much of a crop without at least two loads of good barnyard dressing, I told Mother. Did, don't you notice how spindly the old weeds are? With as much rain as they have, those here, those stalks ought to be as big, round as your thumb. So the land was pretty well worn out. Mother looked at the dried weeds for a minute and said, I'm afraid you're right, son, but a good garden will be well worth a little expense. Doesn't young Mr. Young, the man who delivered our furniture for us, keep cows and sell dressing? Yes, ma'am, I told her, but it costs a lot of money. Al's father got a load for their roses, and it cost two dollars and a quarter. Oh, my, mother said, two dollars and a quarter. Why, when I was a child, she seemed to have forgotten what she was going to say. I just stood looking at the big oblong of brown sandy loam. Hmm. That would be four dollars and a half for two loads, she said, and at last, and the seed would doubtlessly cost another dollar. But a good garden would be worth much more than five fifty to us. Though so I hate to spend the money right now. A garden is something that can't wait. The pea should already be in the ground, and within a week the soil will be warm enough for string beans and turnips and carrots. Tomorrow noon you might drop by mister Young's house, Ralph, and tell him we'd like two loads of dressing as soon as he can deliver it. Now that we have a cart. I think I know how we can do better than that, I told her. Lots of people around here keep hens, and they have to keep them in coops all winter, and in the spring, the coops have to be cleaned out, and I'll bet almost anybody would give the dressing for getting the hen coop cleaned out. Oh, not with the new cart we're going to use for delivering our clean laundry, Mother said. It wouldn't hurt the cart, I told her. We'd take boxes along lined with newspaper, and I'll bet we wouldn't spill a crumb in the cart. We'll talk more about it tonight, Mother said but you boys had better run right along to school so you won't be late. Philip and I walked as far as the James School together, and he thought my idea about hen coops was a good one, but he was sure Mother wouldn't let us do it. Well, she didn't say positively no, I told him, and if we should try it and it should happen to work out all right, she might never say it at all. Why don't you go over and ask Mrs. Hutchison about her hen coop right after school? They have quite a few hens and no garden. If she says all right, you could tell her that we'll clean it out right after supper. I don't think Mother would talk about dressing at the table, so he might get the job all done before she knows anything about it. Philip was so anxious to use his new cart that he didn't wait for me to help him. The minute school was out, he went over to Mrs. Hutchison. And when she told him it would be all right, he started to work on her hen coop. By the time I came home from work, he had a job all finished and about four bushels of good dressing piled up in our garden. All Mother said was, my, that ought to make a nice fertile garden. By the end of the week, Philip had cleaned out four more hen coops all by himself. Our garden had all the dressing it needed, and we had more than half of it planted. With one exception, April was about the luckiest month we ever had. Mother got two more customers, our new garden grew to beat the band, and Grace's cake won the first prize at the Sunday school picnic on Lexington Day. The exception was my getting my name down on the bad boy book again, and it wasn't really my fault. After we got our cart, Philip and Muriel picked up all the baskets of laundry and made the deliveries. He always pulled the cart and she walked beside it to steady the basket and the boxes of fancy things when they had to go up and down or over curbs. They'd never had any trouble, but when I knew that they had a big load, I tried to keep an eye on them a bit. Of course, I couldn't do it all the time, but but if I was out delivering any order, I'd ride the bike a little out of my way to use streets I knew they'd be following. The week before the Sunday school picnic, Mrs. Humphrey sent a big basket full with lots of fancy things in it. So when it was finished, Grace had to pack it in six or seven suit boxes. We had several customers in the store when Philip and Muriel went past with the delivery. But I noticed that they were having some trouble with slipping boxes when they crossed spring and started up Washington Street. Between customers, I kept an eye on them as they went up Washington. And when they turned out of sight down Otis Street, I began to worry about them. As soon as we'd taken care of all the customers, I asked Mr. Householder if I could take the bicycle and ride up to see how Philip and Muriel were getting along. Except for getting my name down on the book again, it was lucky that I went. When I turned the corner at Otis, Philip and Muriel were only halfway down the block, and they were having plenty of trouble. Three boys were laughing and shouting as they knocked boxes off the cart. Philip and Muriel were both trying to push them away, but with three against two, they weren't doing any good. Just as I got there, one of the boys grabbed the side of the cart and tipped it over, spilling the whole basket full of clean laundry out into the street. I was so mad I was seeing red, and the boys were so busy, they didn't see me coming. Maybe that's how I managed to get in as many good looks as I did right at the start. The boys were all bigger than we were, and in a fair fight, they could have licked us easy enough, but that wasn't a fair fight. I didn't tell them, put your fists up before I was swung. Philip kicked one of them in the shins, and Muriel used the stick. Of course, a girl shouldn't have been expected to fight with her fists, and the stick Muriel picked up wasn't much bigger than a ruler. Uh, but she waded into those boys as she, was, she were swinging a sword, and Philip couldn't be blamed very much for kicking. He'd never been in a real fight before, but there were two boys punching at him, and he was just fighting back with everything he had. I don't think the whole fight lasted more than two minutes, but it was plenty hot while it did last, and it was the bicycle that really stopped it. I didn't have time to stand up against the tree when I got there, but jumped off and let it fall in the street. Then I went mainly after the boy who had tipped the cart over. He was a little bigger than the other two, and as I fought with him, he tried to angle around so he could tramp on the spilled clothes. But Muriel beat him away with her stick, and I kept punching at his face and stomach until I had him going backwards. If you can keep the one you're fighting going backwards, you can't get set to punch very hard and you can get in some real good licks. I did, and with every one he kept going faster until his feet got tangled up on the front wheel of the bicycle. When he started to fall, he twisted around to save himself, but he didn't get his hands up quick enough, and landed face down on the brick paving. I bloodied his nose and got a good sock into one eye before he fell. But whatever I hadn't done to his face, the bricks did, and they took all the fight out of him. Before I could get around the bike, he scrambled to his feet, bawling, and ran toward Central Avenue, and the other boys ran after him. Until the fight was over, neither Philip nor I knew what we'd been hit, knew that we'd been hit, or that ladies on both sides of the street were standing on their front piazzas shouting for us to stop. As soon as the boys had gone, the ladies came running to help us pick up the clothes and to see how much we had been hurt. One of them told me if I'd pinched my nose tight for a minute, it would stop bleeding, and another wiggled Philip's front tooth to see if they were loosened enough that they ought to go to a dentist. There's one thing I'll have to say for those boys. They didn't hit Muriel, but they couldn't have missed Philip's face or mine with many punches. We were both a little messed up, and three spokes were broken out of the front wheel of the D&H bicycle. Of course, there was nothing we could do but take the must and dirty laundry home, I didn't stop at the store because I didn't want to tell Mr. Househalter about the bicycle right then or to have him see me looking the way I did. Mother didn't scold me at all for getting into a fight, and Grace said for us not to feel bad about having to do most of the laundry over again. She held a cold, wet cloth against my eye so it wouldn't turn too black, and she was real careful not to hurt my nose when she washed the blood off it. It was nearly an hour before I had taken a bath, changed my clothes, and got back to the store. I had finished telling Mr. Househalter that I was sorry about the bicycle and that I'd pay for getting it fixed when cop Watson came in. So, it's another fight you've been in, he said to me, and he said it as if he had come to arrest me. Yes, sir, I told him, but it wasn't my fault. Divil a bit, it wasn't, he said. It was you what flung the first punch, wasn't it? Yes, sir, I said I had to. There were three boys knocking boxes off our laundry cot, and one of them tipped it over. Ah, go on with you. Don't be giving me none of your fairy tales, he said roughly. They was walking down the street, and your brother and sister was walking up the whole, taking up the whole sidewalk with their wagon, and when the boys tried to squeeze past a box, tumbled off so you'd come up from behind and go to slinging fists and beating them with club. I didn't either, I told them. I didn't have a thing in my hands, and I wouldn't have hit them if they hadn't knocked the boxes off the cart and tipped it over on purpose. I was standing behind the counter with Mr. Householder, and Cop Watson come, came over and leaned on it. He bent over and looked right into my good eye for a minute, and not hard, just steady. Then he said, lad, you're in trouble up on your neck, and it only go harder with you if you lie about it. One of them boys has already been up to the station house with his old man, and the chief's after telling me the poor lad's face is beat to a puddin', And that's not at all, at all. There's a lump the size of a baseball on the top of his noggin and a welt across the side of his jaw where he was beat with a the club. Then he's the one that tipped the wagon over, I told Cop Watson, and he's the one I saw knock the first box off the cart but I didn't hit him with a club, and if his face is all beat to a pudding, it's because he landed on it when he fell over the bicycle. He was the one that started the trouble, not me. And if you don't believe me, you ask any of those ladies up on Otis Street. The, those, There were three of, or four of them standing on the front piazzas and shouting for us to stop fighting. I don't think Cop Watson believed me even then, but Miss, Mr. Househalter helped me out by telling him he'd never caught me lying and that I'd never acted quarrelsome. Well... I'll mosey up the line and get have a word with the ladies. Cop Watson told him, but mind you, Gus, this is no small offense at all, at all, and I can't be brushing it over easy. The chief's head up like a tea kettle, and don't be forgetting, the lad's name has been wrote down in the book twice before this time. You keep him here in the store till I get back. I'll—I might be having it take him up to the station house. I might be having to take him up to the station house. Just as Cop Watson was going out the doorway, Mister Housealter called to him and asked. Who were they? Kids from around the neighborhood? Cop Watson turned and told him, no, from Edgeworth. Bad cess to to him. And worst of all, it had to be an alderman's son what got the tar pasted out of him. He started to go on out, then turned back again and told me, If ever you hit a kid, for glory's sake, pick on a president's son. An alderman can make it 40 times as rough on you. I watched cop Watson all the way up Washington Street until he turned the corner at Otis. I was still watching an hour later when he turned the corner to come back. He wasn't hurrying, but walking with his head down, and his flat feet made him roll a bit from side to side as he came. I didn't want to have him take me up to the station house, and with every slow step he took, my heart seemed to beat faster. Well, lad, he told me when he came into the store, you've got them ladies' sympathy, all right. All right but that's all you've got, and sympathy will never, never in the world rub your name off of that book. There wasn't a living one of them seen the start of it when they heard the hollering to run out that the fight was on, but they cleared you of wielding the club. That little sister, yours, must be a tartar when, she's, when her dander's up. It'll, I'll not be taking you up to the station house when I go in to report, but stay to home this evening. I'll maybe drop by for a word with your mother. As cops Watson talked to me, he took out his jackknife, opened it, and whittled a chew off his plug of B.L. After he tucked it away in his cheek, he looked at some notes he had in his helmet, brushed his big white mustache with the back with a hand, and started out. With one foot on the store's step, he turned back to me and said gently, For glory's sake, lad, watch your step. Then he went out, and I had to swallow hard, because my throat hurt. I told Mother all about cop Watson when I went home from work, and that he'd probably come to our house to talk to her about me. They didn't tell her that my name had already been down on the bad boy book twice before. I didn't want to worry her, and I was sure I could keep it from ever being written down again. That evening, Mother read to Grace and me till after 10 o'clock while we were waiting for Cop Watson, but he didn't come, and she kissed me when I went upstairs to bed. I love you guys. Have a great rest of your day.